Women Taking the Lead, Episode 237. All of those things that we do are negotiation skills. They're important to our conversations and where we're leading our relationship. So if I say to my husband, like every time we talk about where we're going to go to dinner, I'm going to make that a back and forth. He's going to be like, oh, just stop. You're negotiating me to death. But we do have to come up with an agreement, right? Like he says, I'm in the mood for Mexican and I say I'm in the mood for sushi. Huh. How are we going to come up with something that we both like, like Mexican sushi? <laughs> Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Have you joined the Women Taking the Lead private Facebook group? In this group, we are sharing our common experiences, asking questions, getting support, and cheering each other on as we take on new opportunities in life and in business. Go to womentakingthelead.com forward slash group and click on the green join group button. Now your future awaits. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Melissa Hereford, who has been teaching people how to negotiate for over 22 years. Through her workshops, Melissa teaches women skills to get ahead and get along, to confidently ask for what you want without worrying that you'll be called bossy or too aggressive. A lot of women feel powerless, like they don't have a choice in life situations. She's here to show you that you have all of the tools already inside you to make shifts in your everyday agreements that will change your life. Melissa, sign me up. I want what you're selling. <laughs> and, you know, if you could tell us more about that and then more, and then more about you as a person and who you are in the world. Hi, Jody. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here with you. I love your show. I am a follower and an avid fan. So it's really an honor to be here. Yay. And I love talking about negotiating because... When I started, when I think about my own career and I think about where I started in life, everything kind of began for me when I interviewed for a job for a company that taught people how to negotiate. And the funny thing is that I didn't negotiate my salary with them. So it's kind of sad that when I think back to all the things I've been able to accomplish since then... When I interviewed for a job with a company that taught people how to negotiate, I didn't negotiate because I didn't know that I could mm -hmm. negotiate. And even now, 22 years later, what I find is that the statistic is still pretty sad that only 32% of women think that their salary is negotiable. So I, that's really my goal in life is to help people change that and to help women see that everything is negotiable and not this, just the gigantic things like when you're interviewing for a job, when you're asking for a salary increase, a raise or a promotion and all those things that are super important for sure. But really also the everyday negotiations that we do with our team members, with our employees, with our manager and our boss, the things like negotiating deadlines project specifications, project deliverables, things like, can you please answer my email? Can you call me back? And things with our families, like, where are we going to go on vacation? What do you, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? Where are we going to go for cocktails with our girlfriends? All of those things are negotiations. And it's those everyday negotiations that really make up our lives, the bulk of our lives, our loves, our relationships with the people that matter, 
even our relationships with the people that drive us insane every day. Well, Melissa, I'm so glad that company still hired you, even though (laughs) you were not displaying the skills that might show that you were qualified for the job. And I'm sure like you got tons of on the job training and, you know, you you know, and it's so funny. I, I did attend, you know, full disclosure for everyone. I attended one of Melissa's webinars over the weekend and she was sharing these stories. And I was just like, and the examples of all the different places where we negotiate. And I was just, I like had me thinking like, where am I not negotiating? Where am I giving in? You know, and I did, I did hear recently somebody was saying that you really got to know whether or not something's important to you. And if it's not important, you can kind of like not make a big deal of it. But if it is important, you have to decide, then you have to go after what you want. And, you know, I imagine that's one of the first steps too, is just deciding how important is this for me? Oh, absolutely. And there is nothing in what I teach women to do that says you have to negotiate every single little thing just because you have to negotiate every little thing. That would be so annoying. (laughs) You have to win all the time. (laughs) And it's definitely not about winning unless you define winning as having stronger, better relationships, because that's really the core of negotiating successfully is that our relationship not only is intact, but actually can grow stronger because of the skills that we're using. We're not just being yes men, like, yes, I'll get right on that. We're adding value by asking the right questions, helping people think through what the implications are to your projects. And all of those things that we do are negotiation skills. They're important to our conversations and where we're leading our relationship. So if I say to my husband, like every time we talk about where we're going to go to dinner, I'm going to make that a back and forth. He's going to be like, oh, just stop. You're negotiating me to death. But we do have to come up with an agreement, right? Like he says, I'm in the mood for Mexican. And I say, I'm in the mood for sushi. Huh. How are we going to come up with something that we both like, like Mexican sushi? (laughs) I know. I know. And you talked about and you, you were, you know, you're coming to the importance of also maintaining good relationships while you're negotiating. I'm positive you're going to get into that as we start talking about these next several questions. But where I want to take you now and actually have you take us is, you know, that time in your life when you didn't feel confident. Right. And mm-hmm. I, and it's interesting. You talked about getting this job. I don't know if this is the story it's going to be, but isn't it interesting? You were taking a job all about negotiating and mm-hmm. didn't negotiate like wonder. I'm curious what was going on there, but this is your story to choose from. So pull from from your kitty. <laughs> <laughs> share with us a time in your life when you were playing small and then share with us the lessons you've learned from it. Okay, well, I'm going to share a story that is like really powerful to me. And it really shaped how I look back on on this part of my career, because it was super painful. But I think that sharing it not only shows people that even after negotiating for so many years, when our mindset gets in the way, we sabotage ourselves. And so this happened, I was in a vice president role in a company and I was very insecure in my place in the company because the company, my values weren't completely aligned with the company and I didn't really understand at a human level what was going on. And I let that fear and my own insecurity get in the way of how I could have been so much more proactive in dealing with the dynamics of the company. So let me tell you what's going on. So 
I was in a division in this company that was really losing money. Like we were hemorrhaging customers. 30% over the course of six months of our customers were leaving. And I was looking at our customers leaving and I knew why they were leaving. But the dynamics on the management team that I was involved in, I felt too scared to speak up and share my insights. And I was playing really small because I was scared to speak up. And I I, I could have, I wasn't going to just go in and complain. Like, that's not my style at all. I could have, looking back on that moment, spoken up and said, these are the reasons why our customers are leaving. And here are some ideas about how to move that forward. But I didn't do that. And I, I have to be honest and say, I really regret that moment in my career that I, I didn't speak out. I didn't challenge the status quo because I was afraid. I let my own fear of potentially losing my job and exposing myself to rejection get in the way of what I knew was right. And I see this happening with the women I work with all the time. And this is any project you've ever been in that has like gone down in flames. And the manager is looking around like, why didn't anybody speak up? Why didn't anybody tell me this was a bad idea? So many people on this team could see pretty clearly it was never going to succeed. But there's a fear and a mindset that has to shift inside of us so that we can feel brave enough to share our thoughts. But there's also skills that go along with that. And how do we say it? What do we say? And how do we say it? So we're sharing our opinions that, that challenge the status quo, but do it in a way where we're still likable. Because honestly, as women in the corporate world, if we're not likable, our career will go nowhere fast. Right. And Melissa, how do you, how do you, how does one bridge that gap, right? You're sitting there, right? Mm -hmm. You're seeing things are like going to go off a cliff. Right. But there is a real and present danger for you, although it's a perceived danger. You know, like if I speak up right now and tell my boss this is a bad idea or whatever person in authority, mm -hmm. they're going to want to fire me. Right. right. So there's something yeah. in the relationship, too, that's mm -hmm. present that has us believe that this person would fire me because, you know, probably we don't get along at this point or we don't have a tight relationship. You mm -hmm. know, there there hasn't been that <clears throat> appreciation of feedback up until this right. point, I'm imagining, right. is going on. How do you talk yourself through that so that you can speak up for the good of the company and for the good of the person, you know, whose idea it yeah. is? Um, how do you how do you do that? Well, a, a really important part of speaking up against the status quo or sharing your idea that goes against the grain of what everybody else is saying are allies and your relationships. And this is why I regret not saying anything, because I had really strong relationships in this company. I had really strong allies and I should have gone to them. And this is what we talk about building strong relationships and built up a network of allies to say, hey, here's what I see going on, and then ask them good questions, get curious about what they think is going on. And what you're doing is building this network of support. So when I go to my boss then and say, hey, I see this happening, and I've talked to all these other people, and I've come up with some ideas about how we can move forward that I'd love to share with you. And I definitely could have done that for sure. And that is a really, really important skill. And it is a negotiation skill around building an allies and a network of support so that you can make your voice heard. So I'll give you another example, a woman that I was working with 
she made a presentation to the board, like the management team at her company. And it was really radical. Like she was proposing this whole um, health and wellness program because everybody was stressed out and burnt out and people were taking sick leave and it was a really unhealthy culture. And she was like, I have the answer to this. I'm going to go in. I'm going to make this presentation. Everybody's going to fall in love with it. And they're going to be off the charts excited to roll this out. So she went in, she made her presentation and it was like silence in the room, right? There's nobody speaking up to say, this is a great idea. And she came out of that meeting so crestfallen, like how could they not jump at the opportunity to do this? I'm giving them this great gift. And she didn't build any allies before she went in. So what she should have done is gone to every person or at least a majority of people in the room and talked to them first and said, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Get their ideas, get their feedback. And then when you're in the room with all those people and you're presenting an idea that's radical or revolutionary, you have allies already built in who are going to stand up for you and say like, yeah, I thought that was a good idea or that's an interesting approach. Let's talk more about that because you've prepared them. They're not caught off guard. Right. Two things stood out for me in each of you know, one for each of the examples, and it had to do with where, where and when you, you mm-hmm. share this information. So in the first example, I thought it's brilliant to suggest that you, you know, obviously get the allies. That's, that's key in both stories, but then you present the, the new idea or the problem with the original idea privately, not mm-hmm. publicly. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. other person is called out in front of a group. But then on the flip side, if you're the one who's going to be presenting an idea, have those one-on-one meetings ahead of time to just get some initial feedback on whether or not people are on board with this idea. And you can address their concerns ahead of time so that they are in full support by the time you are now, you know, publicly putting your idea out there. Exactly, exactly. And if if they have their stamp of their their ideas and their stamp of approval, so to speak, before you go into the meeting, then they feel like they have buy in, they have skin in the game. And I find that men are really, for some reason, they're really intuitively good at this. And the women that I work with are just they, they don't really realize that it needs to happen. It's not a like to have, it's a must have, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just learning new strategies and skills to to kind of play the game a little bit differently. Not like exactly. not to demean what's happening. Like this is just a board game, but like it's the same approach. Like you you play a, a new game and you watch what other people are doing. You learn what works, what doesn't work, and then you just do that. That's that's life. Exactly. If you were learning to do presentations, you would learn PowerPoint, right? If you were learning to put together the numbers, you would learn Excel. And these are skills that you can learn. They're not, there's nothing disingenuous about having better conversations with people. In fact, it's, it's fun, really. (laughs) I mean, it's fun to go in and say, Hey, I have this idea. What do you think? And have an interesting, provocative conversation with someone. And you're also building a stronger relationship at the same time because they feel valued. They feel like they're getting to share their insights as well. And that's building up your relationship. I was just thinking that same thing. People get so flattered that you came to them and wanted their opinion ahead of time. Right, right. And Melissa, this really does speak to leadership style. So I'm I'm excited we're going in this direction too. Because, you know, what it's really, it's really important for us to get that we're all different. We have different strengths personalities, experiences, and all of those things blend into our leadership style. So it's really important that we honor what our authentic leadership style is. So how would you describe your leadership style? 
So my, this is a really interesting question and I've been thinking a lot about it because when I started as a manager like a hundred million years ago, I had, I built up a team from scratch and I hired people that I liked. Was my team super diverse? Not in personality style because I hired mostly people who were like me. So that made leadership easy for me because I was very into like, let me just give you the project and you go do it and I won't micromanage you. And then when my team got bigger and bigger and I started hiring people who weren't so much like me, I was challenged as a leader to look at the individual and figure out what motivates this person, what are these, what are the strengths of this person and how do I help them act and live in their daily lives from their strengths. And that was a very challenging shift. And I think it's something that a lot of companies will promote you into a management position and not teach you how to be a good manager. Mm -hmm. And I saw this happen over and over and over, and especially in sales organizations. A company would say, you're an amazing salesperson. We're going to make you into a manager. And just because you do a job really well does not mean that you're going to manage people really well. And I had to really look at my skills and say, okay, how can I be the best manager for this person? Because my number one job is not necessarily being an individual contributor anymore. My number one job is to make sure that you are an awesome individual contributor. And the thing that shifted my mindset the most was when I went through the Gallup Finders tool. Mm -hmm. And I saw, oh my God, I am so different from this other person and what can I do to make sure that they are really performing their best work by giving them responsibilities that feed into their strengths? So as a manager now, I have a small team at Negotiate with Confidence, which is my business. And I, I talk to my team all the time about their strengths. So are the responsibilities that you're doing right now, are they things that fulfill you, that excite you? that you feel good about doing, that they challenge you. And if you feel really horrible about something I'm asking you to do, like you may still have to do it for a period of time. But let's recognize that that's something we want to find somebody else to do. That if it's going to drag you down and make you miserable, I don't want you doing it because you're not being a valuable team member for me if you're miserable. <laughs> so important as a, as a leader of people to recognize that. And I love that you've introduced your business and your team, Negotiate with Confidence, because now I want to hear about something that's going on in your business that you're really excited about. Well, I am so excited about teaching women how to negotiate. So Negotiate with Confidence is about taking all the negotiation skills that I learned and I used and I taught to other people in the corporate environment directly to women. So you don't have to wait. If you work for a, a company, I worked for a company that taught negotiation skills to the employees of large corporations, Fortune 500 corporations for tw over 20 years. And those skills were only available if your company happened to purchase our program and you were lucky enough to be able to sign up for it and go through it. So I have taken all of my years of experience and put them into this course, Negotiate with Confidence for Women. And women are so hungry for these skills. It's so gratifying, Jody, when I get emails from the women that I work with who say, wow, I asked for something that I never realized I could ask for. And not, not only did I ask for it, but I got it. And I got in in a way that I feel great about. I feel empowered. I feel like I'm having better conversations. And I'm more clear about how I'm going to get to the next step in my career. 
So that's what I'm working on right now is teaching my course, Negotiate with Confidence, to women and loving it, just feeling so inspired by these women that I work with every day. Yeah, you and I were chatting before we hit record about the work that we do and when people take what we have and run with it and see and we see the results that they get because they come back and they're like, oh, my God, you've changed my life. Like how amazing and gratifying that is. And it makes you just be like, I could do this all day, every day. Yep, exactly. And a lot, I mean, so much of it, I produce like you do a ton of free content for people. So I write a lot and I post on my blog, but I also am doing these little short videos, which have been super fun. So I've been starting this YouTube channel and playing around with videos. And I have, I've been getting emails from women who say, I watched all your videos before I went in to negotiate for a new job or a salary or whatever the situation was. And I used it and here's the result. And it's just like, blowing my mind because, you know, you put stuff out there and you know, it's great. But when people actually use it and get results, it's so gratifying deeply in my soul that people are able to use all these free resources that I'm putting out there. It's just amazing. Yes. And we could talk about the good stuff all day long, but you and I both know (laughs) there are also in every business, there's always challenges and it's a, it's a normal and natural thing. Oh, so, yeah. Melissa, what would you say is the biggest leadership or business challenge you're faced with right now? And we'll see if there's some opportunity for some laser, laser coaching here. Okay, God. I mean, there's so many, Jody, right? That, um, <laughs> okay, so I am definitely a type A person and I want everything to be perfect. So my biggest challenge there, you know, related to my own personality is failing and being okay with failing and failing maybe something really small like the webinar that I ran yesterday I had the wrong dates in that in the emails that went out to people and so I get this email I'm like how did I miss that so beating myself up over those things like learning to just let go of that mm-hmm. is probably my biggest personal challenge because everything can't be perfect and honestly People don't want perfection. Perfection is boring. And I'd like to be as perfect as possible. But I don't relate to people who are too perfect. I want to know that they're human like me, and they make mistakes like me. And so perfection is just not real. And I know that, but I still really like beat myself up over it. Right. Okay. So I was just going to say, I'm like, okay, so logically you've already talked yourself through this and it's okay not to be perfect <laughs> and actually better if I'm not, but I still have this mad desire for perfection. So what's going on there? I am just a very, very competitive person with myself. So interestingly, when I did that Strengths Finder uh, a couple of years ago, competition is the last thing on my strengths. So it's, it's number 34. I'm not competitive with other people, but I hold myself to such a higher standard. And I talk about this in my course a lot that when you talk to yourself in your head and you're like, Oh, that was so stupid. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. I would never talk to you like that. If you made a mistake, Jody, I would be like, really, it doesn't matter. Nobody noticed. Stop beating yourself up over this. But why am I willing to beat myself up when I wouldn't do that to a friend? Right. And, you know, we could absolutely go into what are the costs of this, right? The exhaustion, the anxiety, all this. I I have a feeling you already know the cost of the perfectionism. You're not completely happy. You can't be satisfied with your own work. And it's stealing your joy. 
right. your business. Like overall, you're happy with your business, but there's a, a, a good amount of time that you spend in your business where you are not joyful because you're so busy beating yourself up. Right. Exactly. I can have 10 people come to me and say, I love that presentation. And one person come to me and say, I just didn't resonate with it. And I will focus on and obsess over that one person. Oh, yeah. That's part of the human condition. We all have a negativity bias. We have to focus on what needs fixing, you know, so it's hard for us to put it in perspective, like 10 to 1. Right. Right. It doesn't matter. That one is the top priority. So we like bump it up and it's like a hundred people said it was awful and 10 (laughs) people said it was meh. Okay. Right. So what I want you to look at is how is this serving you? Right. Because if something, if we weren't getting some benefit, you know, from a mind frame or a behavior, we would just stop doing it because that's the way our brain works as well. But you're, you have convinced yourself that there's a benefit to beating yourself up. What is mm. that? Oh, God. I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. What could the benefit be? Do you have an example of what a benefit might be? Oh, yeah. Well, for me is, and what's common for my clients is the benefit of beating ourselves up is we know that we'll keep pushing ourselves. Like we're Mm -hmm. motivating Mm -hmm. ourselves with the stick. Right, right. Yeah. Instead of with the carrot. I hate sticks. Right, right. (laughs) I always say you'll never find me running unless somebody's chasing me. Right. (laughs) It's myself. And and the other thing is we think if we beat the crap out of ourselves when we make a mistake that we'll never make that mistake again. Right. Right. So we're preempting the next mistake by beating ourselves up about it. But the reality is like there are some mistakes that they're just, they're just harmless mistakes. They're typos. They, they happen, that sort of thing. And then there are some mistakes where they're, they're so big, right? That you living through the mistake and the consequences and, you know, cleaning it all up. There's no way you would ever make that mistake again. Like think back on a time in your life where you knew you were making a, de- like at the time you made a decision with the best of intentions. You were really hoping everything went well. And on the other side of things, things like it was like a bomb went off. Mm-hmm. Are you ever going to make that same mistake again? Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> well, if you think, cause if you think about it, you know what you know now, right? Exactly. In retrospect. See, this is the thing. Oftentimes <gasps> what we call a mistake was really just an experiment. Like we didn't yes. know better. Like we made a decision based on what we knew up until that point, the state of our mind, our health, you know, education, all of that, all of that rolls into decisions that we make on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of decisions, we don't know a hundred percent how they're going to turn out. We're just, we're, we make the decision and hope for the best. Right. Yes, and absolutely. then if it comes out wrong, we, we tell ourselves like, Oh my God, I was so stupid. And when that's not true, like it could have gone either way, but the reality is having lived through it, you now have a whole new experience. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And if we're not, and I believe this and I teach this, that if we're not failing regularly, we're not trying hard enough. We're not trying enough new things. And we're not pushing ourselves hard enough. And I give myself that advice, but I still beat myself up over it. Mm-hmm. I am getting better thanks to people like you who are giving me such great insights. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the thing is, is like the, the best, you know, w- what's required to remove ourselves from that mm. old situation is we have to forgive ourselves. So right. what I often tell my clients is think about the person that made that mistakes as a younger version of yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Right. It's not who you are anymore because now right. you you have new experience. You, you're like in a different place in your life, a new mentality. So forgive that younger person right. for making a mistake and know that they were doing their best and take away the gold from what you learned from the situation and leave all the rest behind. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, your younger self was probably like a week ago, like the one who let an email go out with the wrong date or time in it. Well, can you forgive yourself knowing that, you know, probably from like the conversations we've had about what's going on in your life right now, you had a lot going on and a lot, you were spinning a lot of plates. So a, 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 a detail like slipped through the cracks. Right. right? Exactly. You know, exactly. Can, can you forgive that version of yourself for making that mistake? And if you were to take away the gold from the situation, what would you do differently going forward? I would use my team more effectively to make sure that they were proofreading, you know, being the second set of eyes, essentially letting them do their jobs and not trying to do everything myself, for sure. Perfect. Which is another thing that type A women have a tendency for is to try to do it all ourselves because nobody can do it better than we can. <laughs> and I proved that wasn't true. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you proved that one out that that was not a fact. And in, and in fact, you can you can still have that high standard of excellence, but it's going to require that you allow your team to do their job. Exactly. Yep. No. Well said. All right. I, I hope they're it. listening and they're going to refer back to this and say, remember what Jody said? <laughs> <laughs> I hope they are listening and, and let and I'll let them know. I know you're doing a good job. I saw those emails. They were awesome. Like oh, I, like the you. work that went into that webinar, I told you before, was just excellent. So I hope you're going to give people an opportunity at the end. We'll, we'll talk about where people can find you, but give them an opportunity to see your webinar because it was so great. Um, but for now, we're going to move into the quick leadership roundup. So just a couple of sentences for each question. Melissa, what is one practice you have that helps to make you a better leader? Definitely giving my team members the chance to do their job (laughs) and um, not asking. Here's my real challenge is not asking them for the nitty gritty details, but also not allowing me, not allowing them to give me the nitty gritty details because I only get sucked into the details that I don't need to know about. Mm -hmm. So trusting them to do their jobs. I hired them for a reason and letting them do their jobs is really important. So taking on the practice of trusting your team. Exactly. Exactly. And, And Melissa, what advice would you give your younger self? Take time off. Do not work every day. You need time to recharge. Amen. Now share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Okay, so I am a really big believer in failing, failure, even though what you just heard me talk about was I'm such a believer in it because it's such a struggle for me. So I started off with a quote from FDR, which is essentially the only thing to fear is fear itself. But I thought FDR is like the least funny person on the planet. And so much of what I do is around fun and humor and bringing joy to our lives. So I had to look for something that captured this idea of failure in a funny way. So of course, I found something from Tina Fey, because I love her. She's hilarious. Oh my God, I love her. (laughs) Yeah. So okay, so ready? This is her quote about about going for it. You can't be that kid standing at the top of the water slide overthinking it. You have to go down the chute. I love that. 
And lastly, Melissa, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? My website, melissaherreford.com, and it's spelled H-E-R-E-F-O-R-D. It's um, on my website. You can get so many free resources. And if you want to get access to my webinars, make sure you sign up onto my email list or go to the work with me tab and sign up to get notified for the next time I'm going to run my negotiate with confidence course. I start a new session every right now. It's every six to eight weeks, but you will be notified by email if you want to join free webinars. I do tons of free content on my website, free videos, free writing. And if you're on my email list, you'll get invited to all of those things. So I would welcome anyone who's interested in joining me on this amazing journey to sign up and let's get in contact. And it's good stuff. And for those of you who are listening, you know, you can find all the links and resources that Melissa shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. If you put Melissa in the search bar, her name will come right up. And Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Thank you, Jody. It was so much fun. Before we say goodbye, if you have not yet joined the Women Taking the Lead private Facebook group, come join. Hang out with me and other amazing go-getting women who know the power of community and networking just like you. Go to womentakingthelead.com forward slash group and click on the green join group button. Thank you all for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. And to strengthen you on your own leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson, so here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.